Hello, and welcome to Quills and Chills, the podcast that takes you behind the screams of the latest horror novels and movies. I'm your host, Rick Clifton, and each week we'll journey into the minds of horror writers and filmmakers, those architects of fear, to unravel the threads of dread that keep us turning the pages and sitting out there in the dark. So what do you say? Are you ready to meet the minds that craft our nightmares? Welcome to Quills and Chills. Hello, I'm your host Rick Clifton and today we are kicking off the official start of Spooky Season with the multi-talented Carissa Orlando. By day, she is a clinical community psychologist specializing in children's mental health. And by night, she taps into her dark side and lets it all spill out on the page. (laughs) (laughs) Carissa uniquely combines her deep understanding of the human psyche and her love for horror storytelling, which obviously could not be more evident in her debut novel, The September House. So welcome to the show, Carissa. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh my gosh. I I am such a fan of the book. I can't even tell you. I love this book so, so much. It's so great. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you but, so much. But before we dive in and, and get started, I'd love to get to know you a little bit. Yeah. I, I think I noticed in researching you, you went to school in Charlotte, North Carolina, and also Boone, North Carolina? I did. Yeah, I did undergrad at Queens University in of Charlotte, which you've only heard of if you live in Charlotte. And then I did my master's degree at uh, Appalachian State up in Boone, two very different North Carolinian experiences. Well, just so you know, that is my neck of the woods. <laughs> yes, <laughs> orig- where are you from? I'm originally from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And- oh, yeah. Truth be told, since you know North Carolina as well, I'm a little north of that in a small town called Mount Airy, North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Most people know it as Mayberry from the Andy Griffith show. So it's Andy Griffith's, Griffith's hometown. That's our big claim to fame. But there you go. Oh, so Very did cool. You, did you grow up near there? I grew up, well, born in Connecticut, but raised in Georgia, a, a, a little town called Dawsonville, Georgia, which our claim to fame in Dawsonville is Bill Elliott, the old NASCAR driver, was from there. So right. it's got its origins in stock car racing. So if you're into stock car racing, which I am very not, it's an exciting town. But if you're not into it, yeah, my, it's not. My mother is, but uh, that is not a trait that she passed on to me. So yeah, it's. It's it it for me. It's like watch the races on fast forward. It's like okay, let's let's <laughs> right. get to the last couple of laps. But for it, people that like it, exactly. for them. <laughs> it's it's their favorite pastime for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I have to ask, as a lover of horror myself, I'm always curious how people come to this genre. So I want to know what initially drew you to the horror genre as a writer. I've no idea Um, it may be very subliminal because I've always been there's always something that's drawn me to horror I don't know if not to unpack myself but I've always been a little bit of I've always been an anxious person so even when I was a child that was true but I would find myself kind of seeking out horror movies and horror stories like I was watching kind of horror movies when I was like younger I was like reading Stephen King and I don't I've kind of described it as there's something very cozy about 
reading something horrific while you yourself are safe. It's kind of like a way of facing somebody else's fears, I suppose. And so I've always enjoyed that. And kind of increasingly throughout my life, something happened where I went from kind of a casual horror fan to it's pretty much all the media I consume. If my spouse can get me to watch a a movie that is not horror, I think he's just beside himself with joy. because you can see my decor behind me is all very horror. I just, I don't know, it it got, it sunk its hooks into me and I went willingly. You sort of answered my next question. I wanted to know if there were any specific experiences or even authors that have influenced your interest in horror. And you talked a little bit about Stephen King. Yeah, Stephen King, who (laughs) I'm not sure if there's a horror author out there that won't list Stephen King as uh, an influence or an early experience in some way. Um, Right. But I was absolutely tickled. So Stephen King had a new book come out literally the same day as my book came out. Oh, we're sharing a we're sharing a release date. This is. I feel very honored. (laughs) (laughs) But I think in terms of like my newer horror kind of delving into, I think Paul Tremblay is the first horror author that I read in in a while that that wasn't Stephen King. And the one that kind of brought me in and saying, oh my goodness, like there are people doing really awesome, really fresh things in this genre. You know, let me see who else is, is bopping about. Like, let's, let's leave the Stephen King shelf in the bookstore alone for a minute <laughs> and let's see who else right right that's perfect uh all right so the next question is a little bit pun intended so uh, feel free to have fun with it but uh, do you have any rituals or any any routines that sort of help you get into the right mindset when you're about to start writing are you locking people away in the basement are you you know <laughs> what's your process and and sort of getting ready to write i i think when i was younger i had a, a a more intensive process. And now it's truly just if I have uh, a screen in front of me that that words can be written on, I will, I'll write on that. I, I prefer silence. Sometimes I'll do classical music if I really need to tune some stuff out. But I have written on lunch breaks. I have literally written on my phone in line at Chipotle. It's whatever. Whenever it happens, it happens. Exactly. When the inspiration comes, it's just going to happen. I've done that as well. Standing in line at Starbucks and you're like, okay, I start taking notes on the phone. I've been there. I know the feeling. Mm -hmm. So last question, then we'll dive into the book. Readers and audiences tend to have varying tolerance levels for gore and violence. For me and your book, I thought you handled this very, very well. But I have to know, how do you maintain your own sort of emotional balance while delving into this dark and sometimes very disturbing subject matter? Mm-hmm. That's an excellent question. I think it's, personally, I feel that it's easier for me as the writer because I have control over it. I know what's happening. I know how it's gonna gonna end. And so I think I, like if I know a character is gonna die, I know that that's the sitch, so I don't get attached. (laughs) And I also know like what they're dying in service of. And so I think that controllability makes it a little bit easier. I think it, it's, it's more emotionally challenging if you're reading something and like, you don't know what's going to happen or something incredibly gory happens. You're like, oh God, 
I definitely had moments. I, I, this might be a gentle spoiler. There are instances of gore in this book. And I do, I, I take pauses before I go back and re-edit. So I took enough of a pause for after editing some of those bits where I had maybe forgotten a little bit of what I read. I was rereading. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know we went for it, didn't we? <laughs> but but yeah, I think I think there's something to be said about the one that controls the violence versus the one who is out of control. It's always going to be a different, a different emotional experience. Right. The one who's experiencing it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about this book. My God, I could not put this book down. <laughs> oh, <thank you. laughs> All right. So described as part horror, part psychological thriller. It is a completely unique story and take on a haunted house, right? But more than that, it's also a story about one woman's sort of struggle to keep her family together, to keep her household together at the cost of losing everything for her, including her sanity and maybe even her own life. So I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about what this story and what this book is about. Yeah. I have to, when I give the like what it's about speech, it has to be very face value because you've got a couple different things that this book is about, but it's hard to delve into it without there being spoilers. So I'm going to, I give the the kind of face value description of it. And so, like you said, we, it's a, it's a not your typical haunted house story where instead of kind of starting at the beginning where the person moves in and slowly discovers a house is haunted, we join our protagonist, Margaret, four years into living in her incredibly haunted dream home. And so instead of kind of fleeing or trying to kind of like fight back against the the paranormal entities, she has found a way of coexisting with them. And so she is living peacefully and for the most part without fear through these kind of very well-established rules that she's developed and so she kind of considers this problem solved but her spouse Hal on the other hand not not as much of a fan of how the situation <laughs> is going and so he 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 up and leaves he's out of there and their daughter Catherine comes to the house to kind of figure out what what's going on? Where's her dad gotten off to? Catherine does not know the house is haunted. And so Margaret has to both keep Catherine safe and unawares of these things while still trying to manage all of the, the paranormal entities, some of which are not wanting to play nice. So can you explain the the title or is that a spoiler? Would that be considered a spoiler? It's, no, it's not a spoiler. So this house kind of has cycles of horror and everything gets much worse in September. So September is the month where like the walls start bleeding and they're screaming at night and birds start just careening into the side of the house and Ugh, even more ghosts show up. And so... It's, it's the month where everything is increasingly worse and then things kind of calm down in October. And so obviously September is the month where Catherine is showing up. So things are just escalating in intensity um, for both the I, house and for Margaret. And I'm just curious, the thought just came to me, is there any correlation between when you released your book and the title of the book? Or was the, that the, just a coincidence? The book was titled first. The, right. the notion of September, that was all titled first. And then... When, when Berkeley got it, they knew they were going to kind of be putting it into their fall releases. And so it, I think it just made sense to release it in September. That's it beautiful. Sense. I love the way that works together. 
<laughs> so sometimes when, I don't know if this happens for you, but when I have a really great idea, you get this sort of sensation that washes over you, right? Like, oh my God, this is fantastic. I mean, I can have so much fun with this, right? I'm, I'm kind of curious, when you came up with the idea to write this story, was it that moment or was it, or is it more of a sort of a, a development process for you? Like, oh, I, I want to talk about these ideas, but then I've got to sort of flesh this out and develop it over time. Kind of curious what side of the coin you landed there when you came up with the idea. Yeah. That I know that moment you're describing where you're like, oh my God, this is going to, this is something. I think I kind of have that in the early middle of the process. So usually what happens or what has historically happened first is like, I have an idea that I find interesting, but that idea is usually like a single sentence. So the idea for this one was like, what if someone lived in a haunted house, but was completely fine with it? And so my brain is like, oh yeah, that is interesting. But because that's not a thing, nothing kind of happens with it. And so usually what I do is I write that idea down and then I kind of leave it away or just kind of walk away from it. And sometimes what happens is I'll have a plot that starts to glom itself onto that idea, almost like mold growing on bread. And then <laughs> when enough plot kind of forms, eventually I'll be like, this is a whole thing. Like this can be a whole novel. There's actually, there's a story here, there are acts. And that's the moment where I'm like, where I get revved up. Or if I discover a character that I'm that I love enough, I get very excited about that character. Like, let's see where this person goes. Let's see what they've got to say. That's great. So <clears throat> I'm going to go back to what we were saying about sentences, right? I think the first line of any book, for me anyway, is probably the single most uh, important indicator of how great a story is going to be. And I have to tell you, when I got your book, I took it, I went, to, I live in Los Angeles. I, I got on the train to go down to San Diego for BoucherCon. And I brought it with me. I sat down on the train. It's six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning. Who's awake, right? I open it up. I read the first line of your book. The walls of the house were bleeding again. And there was an audible gasp that came out of me. Everybody, it must have been so loud. Everybody turned around and looked at me. And I got to tell you, that is one of the best opening lines I've ever read. And I knew at that moment I was going to absolutely love this book. I'm curious, how did how did you get to this sentence? Did it did it just come to you out of the blue or <laughs> that's way that's way too long ago? I think, I think, yeah, that kind of came came out of the blue, especially since I knew we were kind of beginning in the middle of it. And that's a good kind of middle of it sentence. It's because it's such a, it's almost boring. <laughs> the person's got a board by like, it's, it's September, the walls are bleeding again. Yeah, right. <laughs> My favorite yeah. word is again. Again, <laughs> exactly. Like, it's again, okay. <laughs> so powerful. And, and it's exactly what you were talking about earlier about coming into this story much later, whereas a lot of stories come in in the beginning, you came in well into this, right? So it's just, it's like I said, I was hooked. I was like, I know I'm in, I know I'm good. I'm into the last word of this book. So it was so great. Sorry, I'm going to fanboy through this whole interview. I apologize. <laughs> no complaints for me. <laughs> so, uh, as you know, setting uh, plays a crucial role in horror fiction, and this is a haunted house story. Haunted houses tend to often be characters themselves, and they often come with their own gruesome histories. I'm curious with this house's history, how did you use this to create a sense of fear or and suspense? Were there any specific 
techniques or strategies or anything that you sort of relied on to to build build the suspense around this story? Because there are moments where I was like, oh wow. <laughs> so. Oh my goodness. I am not oh I am I am not even sure. I I like the like two kind of two-ish things I like doing is I like either dropping hints or dropping information about something like long before we figure out what it is. So like long before we figure out who the different ghosts or pranksters as Margaret calls them are, like like they show up or like things are happening in the house before we know what it is. And so there's this, I, I hopefully there's this eerie sense of like, well, something is wrong, but we don't know why. And hopefully that's effective. And then I I enjoy with with suspenseful scenes in particular where it's like we know that something is something bad is going to happen to almost kind of slow the pace before that bad thing happens so there is this kind of uh, hopefully this sort of ominous movement towards an escalation like we know it's coming but we don't know when it's going to get here and those are two things I I attempted well, you definitely, you delve into the history of the house and the town as well and the townspeople. And I'm also, I'm always fascinated by that backstory. But I'm curious, were there any real life events or even urban legends that help inspired any of the, the backstory here? No, no. I think really just, just like typical tropes. Because one, one thing that yeah, I'm a big haunted house fan, big horror movie fan. And so I liked kind of tossing as many of those tropes into this house as possible, just to kind of see Margaret not react to them or think that they were completely fine. And so the backstory, I think, is something that tends to be ropey of, I don't, I don't think this is spoilers, but just like not awesome people who lived in the past who kind of passed along their not awesomeness and reluctant to use the word evil because that's not necessarily what's going on and that kind of gets passed along and passed along to the, the other people bad and behavior that live in the house yes bad behavior I like that all right. So I'm really struck by the family dynamic here. I want to talk a little bit about, about Margaret and her daughter, Catherine. I, I got to say, when I came into the story, there was a part of me that was almost expecting Margaret to have a much better relationship with Catherine, her daughter, mainly because of the distance that existed between Catherine and her father, Hal. And I was really kind of surprised to see sort of how estranged she was with both parents. And I was wondering if you could just talk about, you explain why in the story, but I was wondering if you could just talk about their relationship a little bit without yeah. spoilers, obviously. Okay. <laughs> it's definitely brought, I think with, I love Catherine as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's, I think she's great. But so I know, I'm trying to keep this spoiler free. So it's a very fraught relationship. And Catherine is a very, a very angry character. And some of that is nature. Some of that is nurture. And kind of Catherine's upbringing was not, not great. And Margaret kind of made some tough decisions to 
in service of keeping Catherine safe, which is Margaret's number one priority at any given time. And Catherine really, I think has some, has some judgment and has some resentment towards Margaret for her past and current behavior. And so while Catherine definitely has a, a negative relationship with her father, she also kind of looks back at Margaret's behavior and decisions and doesn't like what she sees. And ha- I think has also a lot of blame for, you know, Catherine's not a perfect person. Like I said, she's angry. She's seeing that show up in her relationship. She and her girlfriend recently broke up as a result of Catherine's kind of not doing great at handling emotions. And so Catherine has a lot of blame to her family for kind of what they what they put her through. and. I love that that dynamic from Catherine. I think she can be abrasive and a difficult character to love, but to me, she's incredibly complex and she makes a lot of sense to me. Um, she does. Her. She cuts right through it. Uh, pardon the pun. I did not mean to say that, but she, uh, she, she does. She cuts right through the BS, right? And she, she's right in the heart of it. And I agree. Uh, she was one of my favorite characters. I mean, I love them all, but she was one of my uh, favorite characters as well. And in regards to Margaret and her feelings toward her daughter, there are moments in the story where you, it's very clear. You do not mess. Uh, you do not mess with her family. She becomes a, uh, a very fierce and feared sort of mama bear. Right. So yes. <laughs> it's, it's really great. <clears throat> yes, um, Margaret will take a lot of crap, but she will not take that particular crap. <laughs> yeah. And, and that is a very clear through line through the entire story. So I, I loved it. It was great. I also want to talk about one of my other favorite moments, and it also happens in the first chapter. And it's when you introduce one of the recurring characters, Frederica, and how Frederica and Margaret interacted with one another throughout the story. Frederica is such a, a very interesting and unique and kind of funny personality. <laughs> and it makes me curious as to if you could talk a little bit about how you approach character development in that regard, especially in horror and how you sort of you know dive in and create these funny yet complex yet extremely relatable characters. I I enjoy Frederica as well. She's so fun because she's very She's almost like Margaret's rock. Like she's stoic. Mm-hmm. She is kind of, she, she's one of the few places of emotional support for Margaret, especially in the house. I don't, I don't believe this is, this is not a spoiler because it's like chapter one, but Frederica is also one of the paranormal entities. <laughs> she was murdered like a hundred years ago. She has this huge axe wound <laughs> in her face <laughs> and she's just this incredibly kind of stoic supportive character she cooks meals she cleans up but she also as the month progresses becomes increasingly unhelpful like she's moving furniture Erratic. around yep. she's breaking stuff <laughs> you can't find anything and so I appreciated balancing this like this strength and this kind of support she has of of Margaret with just this utter chaos that she is causing and at no point or at least at no point did I was I angry or fault her because a lot of it's outside of her control but I appreciated that almost like within the same breath she could be there and be supportive for Margaret while making life so much harder for her <laughs> 1000% it was fantastic and, and Margaret 
trying to be okay with like it kept getting in the way sometimes but she would just she had to sort of remind herself of the reality of the situation right yeah so it's mm-hmm. uh, and since you brought it up, one of the other interesting things that you've done is uh, the flashbacks to all of these paranormal entities uh, in the house and how we got to see their moments when uh, they're I'm just going to say it uh, and I can cut it out if we need to. There are moments of death, then how you you chose to let Margaret sort of view or the person that passes through this entity view it from their eyes. Very interesting and unique. I, I kind of, I, I, I was trying to think. I, was like, I'm, I know I've seen it before, but it's not. I haven't seen it. It's a very interesting position, uh, point of view. You know, it's curious if we could talk about how you came to that. Uh, I, I got. I'm not going to remember how I came to it. <laughs> I think I, I just, I appreciated it as a device of figuring out. Okay, what happened to some of these entities. So Margaret can can learn a little bit more about all right, how did this person come to be deceased here? You know, well, how did how did they end up being this mangled ghost that she now sees in front of her? So it's an interesting way of learning that and also in the first person. But then it's yet another thing that Margaret has just coped with. <laughs> she knows that <laughs> yep. if I touch one of these, I'm going to relive the moment of their death as if it's happening to me, which is incredibly unpleasant and it makes my nose bleed. So I need to not touch them. (laughs) Or (laughs) like, if I do touch them, I need to know what's about to happen. Um, Prepared for it. Because it's again, this contradiction of like this very intense, potentially traumatic thing where you're literally reliving someone's death as if it's happening to you and being like, okay, this is kind of annoying. I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I need to walk around them. Right. Uh, So, I really thought I had this story figured out about halfway through. I was like, oh, I've got it. I know what's happening. I know what's going on. I know what's going to, I know what's going to happen. And then Carissa, (laughs) you flipped it on its ear and you twisted it around and you actually literally surprised me. And I got to tell you, that's what has made me one of your biggest fans. So I have to ask, what's next for you now after the September house? Well, I I am working on another book right now. It's somewhat early in the process, so I don't want to talk about it too, too much. I'll hopefully finish up kind of spring of next year, which probably means it will be published the following year. But where you'll you'll expect from me kind of consistently horror, I do enjoy incorporating aspects of mental health or psychology into it, you'll probably see the same kind of dark humor going through things that other people find not funny that I find incredibly funny, (laughs) things like that. (laughs) Well, I think I thought it was great. Can you share any tips or advice for aspiring horror writers that are coming up today that are looking to explore this genre for the first time? Oh, wow. My advice is always very simple, which I shamelessly I'm stealing from Stephen King's advice, which is just read and write. So read as much as you can. And that's kind of like taking creativity in and then write as much as you can. I would say even if it's not horror that you're writing as much, even if it's just like a silly story or like a parody of something or just something that like you're writing for a friend, any, any exercise in writing is practice. 
And so write as much as you can and kind of sample broadly with the genre, like see what people are writing and see what you, what you enjoy about what they've written and why you enjoy it. For me, that's like, I'm incredibly hard to scare. And so I, if a book manages to creep me out, I'll often inquire like, okay, what, what about that scared me? Like, what did the author do that was effective to try and learn like, okay, how can we accurately or how can we convey more effectively in the written format? So I I could not agree with that more. I'm exactly the same way. I've been watching horror movies my entire life. I think it was 12 years old when I saw my first horror movie. <laughs> I've been reading horror novels probably around the same age. And like you, I am very hard to scare. And when it happens or when you when you surprise me, I become very intrigued and sort of understand, like, I want to know more, you know, so I, I, mm-hmm. I tend to agree with that. You want to sort of look at the masters, I guess, if you will. And yes, I just called you a master. So all right. So lastly, what is your personal philosophy when it comes to writing horror? What do you hope that readers will take away from your work? Hmm. Hmm. From from this from this book specifically, I think it's hard to, to say it without spoilers. Well, th- this might be kind of what comes across in, in a in a lot of my works, I hope, is that I think because I because I'm in mental health, because I'm in psychology, one of my pet peeves is when mental health issues are treated poorly or like a misunderstanding is broadly communicated. And and I also think that's true with like in my partner violence or other things like that, where we have a lot of myths that are perpetuated in society and in media broadly. And so I, I appreciate incorporating those elements so that I can do them justice. And so Sometimes I think just what I what I want to communicate is I just want a reader to think about something differently or understand that something that maybe that they thought was kind of simple or had a simple solution is substantially more complicated than they initially thought. And so that's that's what I'd like for people to get out of my book. I mean, horror is an allegory for life in a lot of ways. Right. So Uh exactly. Uh Well, the book is the September House. It's out now. So get go get your copy today. I will say, please, please, please support your local bookstores. Uh, so go into a bookstore and pick it up from there if you can. But like I said, this is a book that you will not put down. So set aside the entire weekend because it is going to take <laughs> up your life. <laughs> Hopefully. God willing. Well, Carissa, thank you so, so much for talking to me today. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Quills and Chills. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the mysterious and the haunted. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to support us by subscribing on your preferred podcast platform and leaving us a rating or review. Because your feedback helps keep those chills running down both our spines. And feel free to share the show with your favorite fellow horror enthusiasts. Also, if you guys have any spooky stories, strange encounters, or paranormal experiences of your own, I'd love to hear them. Reach out to me on social media or email me at quillsandchillspodcast at gmail.com. Who knows? 
your story might end up on a very special episode. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I will see you back here next time on Quills and Chills. Bye, y'all.